Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Braden Hafner. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Pure Victory Podcast. Today is part two with Rick Thompson, so you're going to want to stick around to listen to this. But before we get going on that, I want to make you aware of this coming weekend, the Pornea webinar series. We have great guest speaker, Sam Black from Covenant Eyes. He's going to be talking about accountability. And this is something that you're going to want to take part in. So please visit restoredministries.ca to take a look, register for that great session. And we hope to see you there. Otherwise, let's get going. Part two, Rick Thompson. You have to be separated for a full year before you can file here in Canada. And so it was just over that year mark. She's like, I sought legal counsel. She's like, there's no future for us. She's like, I, I can't do it. She says, I don't trust you. She says, I don't think I'll ever trust you. And she says, I don't even know if you're back doing anything. She's like, you're such a, she called it a professional liar. And she's like, I don't know if you're lying to me right now. I don't know if you went to work today. Like you could tell me the color of your truck outside. I don't know if I would believe you. That's sort of like, that was the uh, depth of mistrust that I had brought us to. I know a lot of the times when we're in a healing journey and we face setbacks and pain points like you did with the breakdown of your marriage, what kept you going? Because I mean, at that point, sometimes the, the temptation is just to go back into the old life because you know we we it hurts, right? And we want to go back to what we know would maybe make us feel better. So what kept you going? I sat there on the, I knelt down and I physically begged to not go forward with the the legal stuff. And she's like, I have to, she says, I I can't get better until you're not part of my life 
like even legally. And I don't remember the exact words. So I don't want to misquote her either, but it was just she she couldn't do it anymore. So I remember leaving. And so where I was living is the same lady's basement from the, the church there before. Um, and I remember driving back. There's about 10 minutes out of town. I remember I got just so I was out of town and I was bawling and just I didn't exactly what you're saying. Like there was so much pain and it was one of the first times I even had thought about there was like two or three times during that four month period that I actually even thought about pornography or like going back. I remember having one of those thoughts on the drive home and I actually started physically beating myself in in the truck punching myself slapping doing all that sort of stuff and um this that was 100 percent the lowest part of my recovery was that drive home in that evening i was actually almost home and my father-in-law called me he's like you know i know this has happened or whatever but like we don't want to close the door to you completely that sort of stuff and just a super nice conversation he was just being himself just a super awesome guy and i remember i hung up the phone i was like yeah whatever like i don't care about anything right now i like i don't want to wake up tomorrow basically the lot like i was walking down the stairs in the basement i just i formulated a plan i had my jackknife or whatever as a bigger one i'm like you know what i'm gonna if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna make sure it's fast or whatever i'm gonna stick it in the side of my head and and be done i had some poly in the back of the truck so i brought that in with me i kind of laid that out in front of me maybe watch too many Dexter episodes, but um, laid that down in front of myself and um, just kind of went through everything and just berated myself and continued to beat myself too. Just like, this is all the stuff you've done. This is all the people you've hurt. Um, even her brother, when I used to go, like, he still like to this day, hasn't gone back to church and he was in a lot of pain because um, he really looked up to me and there's all these things. And I had, I had a, youth small group that I was working with and I confessed some of it to them and kind of asked for their forgiveness too. And there's just so much pain. And all I could see was out of all the pain, it was all stuff I had done. Like I had a, like, there's just like this massive crater of pain that I could envision, but it was all because of the stuff I had done. And I had dropped this bomb and just everyone was hurt because of it. I just got into this emotional state where you, you honestly believe like, well, if I was just gone, they wouldn't have to deal with all this. There wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be any child support stuff to work out. There would, you know, my, I wouldn't have to tell my kids someday, like what a jerk their dad was and um, all this crazy stuff. And so I had everything ready to go. And I was sitting on the edge of the bed, had the knife in my hand in my Bible on the bed stand there. I always kept pictures of the kids. I was just sitting there kind of head between my knees sort of idea crying and then kind of just working up the courage like giving it the old okay one two three sort of idea and then uh, a picture out of that bible of gavin my son uh, came out of the bible and landed right in between my feet i mean there's no furnace running there's no anything like that it was just uh, a god thing and I, I dropped the knife and uh, i just started to weep and i just hit the ground and just for an hour, maybe two, I don't remember how long it was. I just wept until there was no more tears and I remember getting up and it was kind of the same thing I did the first day. I just knelt on the ground and was like, God, I need to get better, but I don't know how to do it. I don't, all I can see is all this garbage. All I can see is all this pain. That's all I can see. And I don't want to hurt anyone else. I don't want to go down this road again where I have to ask, say sorry again and again. And, uh, 
it just kind of like a light went on in the back of my head and it was like, you got to get better so that you're better and you got to get better. So your kids don't walk down this road. And uh, again, I just kind of got the picture again of the, the kids um, not being like I had been. And so that was a hundred percent the lowest part. And uh, I was by myself, just me and God. And I still haven't gone back to church at this point, but uh, I just knew I, I had to get better. And I hadn't stopped going to Dr. Shea. hadn't stopped doing my reading. It was just, it was just the low, the low of the lows. And from that point on, it just, things didn't get, it wasn't like the next day was terrific. <laughs> not not like that much of a turnaround, but it all it always got better from that point on. I never thought about suicide again. I never, I never even compl- uh, contemplated it again. It was just, it was, it was that one time. And I'd never been suicidal before in my life. Like it was all, it rushed in. And that's, that's how I, I, in my opinion, I actually haven't talked to maybe someone who knows more about this, but that's how I knew it was real. Like I was, I was good to go and I was just ready to be gone. And so that was just a big, big, big turning point for me. And I, I, next morning I booked like an emergency session with Dr. Shea and uh, he always made room for me because what a mess I was. And <laughs> he probably skipped his lunch or something and, and, and got me in, but I started working even harder. Um, I bought so many books and I bought anything I could devour in, in this area. And then I really started in with a thing called healing prayer that our church does where they, they go through your past and uh, all that sort of crazy stuff. The stuff I uncovered and the generational stuff that was going on that I knew about, but I just didn't care about. And like how, didn't realize how destructive the like the generational stuff was and um, stuff that I took on myself. There was stuff like my my uh, my dad's dad, um, who's passed away now. I and mean, he was an unbelievable preacher. Like he used to travel all across Canada. He's such a good preacher, but um, he was a ladies man. And... Um, he had multiple, multiple affairs, and uh, when he would get caught, uh, my grandma would demand he she'd get new jewelry, she'd get a new uh, kitchen set of dishes. She'd there was something monetary she would get to get him off the hook. But it was it was the you know it was a different time. Like you didn't break up a marriage back then. You didn't you didn't tell anyone. And so this is the like I didn't I actually didn't find this out till years and years later, it, well into my recovery that this was going on, and. Uh, yeah, so healing prayer was pretty crazy for me. Um, <laughs> I went to my first session with um, two guys, and I gave them all my stuff. They're like, okay, well, we don't really know where to start with all this. So we, they kind of did one. We're like, we have to book another session for sure. And we got partway through the next session, she's like, and the one guy's like, you know what? Like, we need help. And so they brought in the lady who le- led the ministry, and we got most of the way through another session. She's like, we need more help. <laughs> oh man! It ended up being like a the last couple of sessions ended up being like a four-on-one um, prayer. Like so, there's like three people like intercessing for me, like the one while the one person would, like lead through the questions. Oh, yeah. I remember my last session, like my it was like I had been playing hockey. Like you know how wet your shirt gets, like after playing a hockey game. Like my shirt was that wet with sweat. There was a pool of sweat under the chair. It was just unbelievable i did healing prayer for uh it was a couple years off and on i did it just to like to work through some of the the spiritual side of stuff because like we give and you've you mentioned this a lot of times matt well giving the devil a foothold and you no know, the healing prayer side of it is like pulling out those roots pulling out like kicking his foot off the front porch so like he doesn't have 
he doesn't have somewhere to get in. And so that was a big, big part of my recovery as well was the healing prayer actually going through like there was the, the logical doctor side of stuff, which he changed my life, uh, how to think about stuff. But then there was, and he was hundred percent for like, get as much help as you can. He's like, I'm just one man. And if you can get more help, good, like you need to get better. And so I'm so glad like he didn't have any pride as far as me doing all like as much as I could to get better. And, uh, so yeah, he, I did the healing prayer for a long time and it was, it was the spiritual side, ripping out all that old stuff and, and dealing with, um, sin. And that's really where I learned to keep like a really short, um, short record of sins. I mean, the Bible tells us to do it, but it never registered with me. Like keep a short, re- short record. So that these stuff don't pile up and you can, you can actually, you know, when you go and ask for forgiveness, like it's like, God, yeah, it's been, I don't know, a couple of weeks. Um, can you forgive me for everything? <laughs> and like, yeah. we do these, these blanket um, prayers that, uh, you know, you just want to feel better where when you keep a, a short record of your wrongs, it's like, God, I'm sorry for this lie. I'm sorry that I freaked out on my wife here. I'm sorry that, uh, you know, I hit my hand with a hammer and, you know, it was a long list of curse words and that sort of stuff. Or like, you know, I gossiped here and like, it's, it's just so much easier. Like it's specific and you're dealing with specifics rather than I always dealt with these macro <laughs> sins. Right. Like, uh, you know, I saw I looked at porn. 200 times. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that you say that because keeping a record of wrongs is something that we don't do when we're in love, but we think about it so often in terms of how to love other people, but we've got to love ourselves in that way too. And, and realize that, that God won't keep a record of wrongs for us. And so we shouldn't for ourselves too. And to get specific is so important, so powerful. So I love that you're bringing that up. So then can you, just touch on a little bit what's it like now and and how what was the process of reconciliation with your first wife and with those kids not that you ended up getting married or remarried to the to the same girl but but how did you get to the point where you are now and what was the process of reconciling those relationships maybe building trust yeah in in our divorce agreement it was pretty crazy because the level of trust um like i said just wasn't there and even a year in like even though i'd made a lot of progress and stuff i was i was a serious mess um, emotionally and that sort of stuff. And, um, we didn't actually, she went to a lawyer and basically all I went to a lawyer for was she got all the documentation. I just went and basically had to get it signed. I remember meeting with my lawyer. She's like, this stuff is crazy. Like you can't sign off on some of this stuff. I'm like, well, you know, I, you know, I want the kids to not have to move out of the house. So we signed over the house, kind of gave up all my rights. I gave her full custody of the kids and so any decision-making stuff, like if she felt like something was sketchy, she could just not let me see the kids. And for the first long while, um, all of our interactions, they're either public. So we would go to the pool or the bowling alley uh, out for supper. And if they weren't going to be like that, then I, I had someone with me. So basically it was like super, super supervised visitation. And I never missed, I missed one visit in like the first three years. And so I had them every Friday night, every Sunday, and then Wednesday or Monday night during the week. And uh, I never missed a visit. I mean, those, that was my time. And I had my phone on me, but I, you know, it wasn't, I didn't talk to buddies. I didn't talk to anyone. Like that was just kid time. I was very protective of that time because, uh, I think I just realized like I'd lost the ability to be with them all the time. And so 
they were allowed to come to the house after a while and like all the regulations, like we never got them legally changed or anything like that, but they weren't necessary anymore. There was enough trust, not that she trusted me, but there was enough trust that, you know, she knew I loved them and she, I just wanted to spend time with them. I started uh, seeing girls again for a long time. I, there was just no desire. There was, I didn't want to date. I didn't want to do anything down that line. Like I said, I was super protective of my time with my kids and, uh, so I just never got involved with anyone. And then I got involved with my, my wife now. I'd known her for years and years. And we had, we had soccer in common. And we had just tons of in common, common. And I always gave her a hard time. And she's super hot and stuff. But I just never looked at her that way until she asked me to go to a wedding with her. She said she's, she was sending out crazy vibes. And I wasn't picking them up. But uh, she called me bro at one point during the day. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, this is where we're at. Like, that's all I needed to know. Yeah, we just kind of hit it off there and actually started a relationship further in. And she always bugs me about the first couple of days there because she's like, you didn't. I'm like, you called me bro. Like, talk to any dude. Like, he bros on me. That's a, yeah, friend zone, bro zone. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So how did she take it when you opened up and confessed everything about your story to her? She didn't really know much of the story. She knew some of it. She had heard on, uh, we went to a friend's wedding and I was talking to another person in the car about it. And... So she knew bits and pieces. And so we probably for about four or five evenings um, just talked about my stuff. And then I just gave her an open-ended thing. I said, if there's something you need to ask or there's something you need to know, um, just just tell them, like, uh, just ask it. And I said, I'll, I said, you might not like the answer, I said, but I'll be totally honest. And she asked me a couple of hard questions. And the one, the one I was pretty close to be like, lying about i'm like nope that i did do that and just explain the situation and she's and it was that question she said i already knew the answer she said and i was waiting to see if you tell me the truth about that and that was kind of the end of that era where she didn't she knew i was being honest with her even about the crappy crappy stuff so then uh, we had a very quick engagement into marriage thing and um it was really awesome and really stressful at the same time because i had no money whatsoever um uh, just what i made basically was a lot of it was child support and then a lot of it was i was trying to pay off the all the debt i had from counseling and all that stuff over the years and i ended up going to collections for a lot of it there was just no money there was no money and so she basically paid for most of the wedding we got given some stuff from her parents and uh, i wasn't really reconciled with my parents another they didn't even actually come to the wedding which is a huge regret of mine but at the same time it was, it was so fantastic to have someone like just they just trust you and mm-hmm. um, that, being honest with them that that sort of stuff and so we got our first house and we got bunk beds for the boys and um another I had another bedroom set aside for um, Janae, my oldest. And so then I, I hadn't broached the subject, but basically since the the divorce part of it, because she used to let me come in the house and put the kids to bed. Um, but from when we stopped talking, um, I hadn't I hadn't been with the kids at bedtime. It was always you drop them off, walk them to the door, say goodnight there. And so she wanted me to get a polygraph done because she said she didn't believe that I had been seven years clean. So I was like, well, that's all you need. And so on my end, I was actually pretty excited, but I was trying to play it cool because I was like, I can do this. That's easy. Like I have, I've been clean. So sweet. And so um, she asked me to book it and sort of stuff. So I gave her a few options. She, I let her pick the place and I actually ended up finding out this guy was like, he's world renowned for 
some of the stuff he does with his, the, the accuracy of his tests, like he goes around and teaches people. I was like, oh, great. Like, so you start to get nervous. Like a polygraph is absolutely nothing like you see in the movies. <laughs> There's, it's not even close. You no, know, you, you sit down with this, this guy who's going to administer the test and his wife, who's his assistant. And then the two of you, and she's allowed to come up with five questions. And I just, I said, any five questions you want to ask, I don't care what they are. And the guy's like, Ooh, be careful. Like, I'm like, I don't care. Whatever the questions are, I want this to be the last go around for this. And so she had her five questions and then they have five baseline questions. Like what's your name? What's the color of that wall? That sort of stuff. And so they know you're, you know, you're being a hundred percent truthful and all that sort of stuff. Just the pile of sweat again for that one. I'm a sweaty dude, I guess. But um, I'd started leading worship again at our church and I hadn't led worship at a conference forever. And I was so nervous. I was so scared. And we're at the practice right before like the conference started. So people are actually mingling in the foyer and my, my phone rang in my pocket and I don't usually have it on me. And I saw it was the, the polygraph company. And so I just put my guitar down and I ran out of the room. I was like, what the heck is going on? Like weird for me. And so I go in the hallway and they're like, oh, Mr. Thompson, he's um, just want to let you know, like you scored hundred percent on your test. Um, I started, of course, I, I cry all the time. <laughs> I started weeping and uh, I already knew the answer, but it was just such a relief. And I'm like, man, I am going to call Jacqueline and I'm going to, it was almost like, a, like reverting back to like the, I told you so that I used to always do. And I came out and my one buddy, Corey, uh, who has walked through me, this whole thing with me for whatever reason, he was just early and standing there. And I'm like, I got the results back. And I said, man, I can't wait to tell her. I can't wait. He's like, you are not telling her anything. He says, and I, he's never, he's never liked this with me, but he's like, you're going to wait until she gets results from the company. And then she contacts you. I'm like, Oh, okay. But I, but I, I want to be the bearer of this news. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. Don't, don't do it. Stay clear. Um, let them, cause they, I knew that they were calling her too, but I just wanted to be the, the guy who told her, but anyhow. And then I remember just going back and I just kind of broke down and a lot of the people on the team and stuff, they knew, what my past was and sort of stuff. And I just, we were supposed to finish practice, but I was just like this, I just got the results back from this. I have a clean slate of like seven years clean and I want to rejoice, but all I can do is cry. <laughs> and I was just so thankful. And I'm like, I don't know how this first service is going to go. I said, my emotions are up here. <laughs> and so I'm going to do my best to get through this this worship set and you know, they just like everyone just kind of put down their instruments and came and they prayed with me and like it was it was joyful and it was sad and it was all the stuff and it was monday morning i didn't have to wait that long i got a message from jack and she's like got the results she said we have stuff this weekend the following weekend do you want to have them and again just a pile of tears i was like I phoned Elvira. I'm like, we're getting the kids. We're getting to, we're getting to have the kids and for the whole weekend. And we're going to go every second weekend unless we had to figure something out down the line. And uh, I was just, I phoned my boss and I'm like, I don't know how productive I'm going to be today. He's like, you know what? You go take the day off and you go celebrate. The two weeks went by so slow. <laughs> just dragged out because we had so many activities planned. We didn't even get to half of them. I don't think I was going to make these mega breakfasts and all this sort of stuff. And then. Janae was older, so it was kind of a, a hug, and she went downstairs and went to bed. She was past tucking in, but um, 
own Gavin, and then we had bunk beds. I put them both in. We read a, had bought a new Bible story book to read with them. So we, it was a Minecraft one because they loved their Minecraft. So we read the Bible story. I hugged them, and we prayed with them. And I went outside, and I collapsed outside their room because the guy who sat on the end of his bed ready to kill himself, God had just worked everything out and stayed with me the entire time that I got to have my boys and my girl back. And I had a new wife. And just, it seemed like in that moment, nothing could possibly ever get better. And all it was was tucking them in and kissing them. But I, you think back of this crater of pain I'd made and I lived in for so long. And God is so good that he turned it around and I got to hug them again. And we've never had to backpedal. We've, we've had them every second weekend. I mean, uh, one of the greatest things about the relationship my ex and I have now is we're really lenient on, like we have our set aside weekends, but you know, Oh no, we're having a big family get together. Can I have them? Yes, and we'll take them, whatever. And uh, it's always been really, really open-ended because I hear about people like, oh, you're five minutes late getting home with your kids and they're calling the cops and lawyers and all that sort of stuff. Where with all the craziness I did, I never had, I never, I've never had to deal with that. I've never had to deal with uh, a person who is calling the cops because I'm two minutes late or, or that sort of stuff. It's, it's just never been like that. And so we never we never had to go back. We 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 you know just kind of move forward, and um, we have all this stuff in a divorce agreement. But like we just don't we don't follow it anymore. That was such a high point in my in my life. I, I can imagine. I love bedtime, so I I can <laughs> imagine you bring tears to my eyes too. Just telling that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Rick, what an amazing story. Um, we want to kind of wrap this up as far as because so much you could share and we just so thankful that you're able to do that. But what would you tell somebody who is in the midst of the pain and the, the suffering of what it is like to be an addiction? What would you tell someone who wants to get free from porn? It's worth it. It's it's hard. Um, I'll never lie to a guy I'm working with and say, oh, you know what? Just stop doing it. It's easy. It's, it's hard because there's always other stuff. Like no one ever just, I shouldn't say no one ever, majority of people don't just jump into porn and it becomes an addiction. There's, there's, if you're going to get better, see someone who's going to walk you through all, all of the healing. So it's not just an accountability partner who's like, oh, you left a porn again, you idiot. Where that's important to have that butt kick in the butt. There's also, you need guys who are like, how are you actually doing? Like, like you have to be real enough um, I never, I talked about forgiveness before. I never understood the way forgiveness works. And if you can find someone that uh, are actually going to walk with you, um, the amount of forgiveness that is offered is is crazy. And that's aside from the forgiveness on the cross. Um, it's worth it. it. Like all the, you know, if you're in a married relationship or engaged or in a long time dating relationship, that's going to suck for a while. It is because the amount of hurt that we put on our partner is, it's incredible. Like as like, I was never the victim in the situation. And I, so I, I have tried to wrap my mind around the pain that she felt 
But as much time as, as I can spell, spend dwelling on that and, and thinking about it, I could never, I could never feel it. I could never even come close to like the pain I put someone else through multiple people through. I can, I can never understand that fully, fully God forgives so entirely. And I think it took me a long time to, to figure that out too, that all of the stuff I did, all of the lying, all of the, um, he died for all of that. So we can hang out so that I can come to him. Not all the time, just with forgiveness requests. <laughs> Cause that, that's largely what it was for me for like 20 years. Like, right. That's that's why you talk to God in the evening. You ask him, ask him, give you a good rest and forgive me for my sins. And you know that was that was all it was. It was never a um, wake up, read your Bible. You know, thank you, and then just start thanking him for everything. I mean, I'll be honest. There's usually a forgiveness thing in there for me because I'm far from perfect. But that's I don't I'm not running back to him only for forgiveness. Now I I, I get to spend time and enjoy his presence. My boy's going through some, uh, some tough stuff. And he, he was just saying how he doesn't know that he's ever felt God's presence. And so that's one of my prayers right now is like, like he would feel God's presence because it's, it's so amazing. And when you're stuck in the middle of the porn and stuff, it's not that God's presence isn't there. Like, and he'll touch us and he'll heal us and he'll do crazy things, awesome things in your life just because he's good. Like that's his character. He's, he's, he's good. And so he will do all these things, but there's something about not having this weight on you when you come to hang out with Jesus. And without the weight, you just enjoy your time together. It's like hanging out with your best buddy. They know all your crap and they love you in spite of it. (laughs) And my buddy, Corey, who has walked with me 11 years, I mean, I know all his crap. He knows all our crap. And that's just part of our relationship. We don't, we don't dwell on it. Like when we go for coffee or whatever, we don't dwell on what I did in year 2000. I don't dwell on what he did however long ago because the forgiveness is there and we keep each other accountable for it, but it's, you don't have to dwell on it. That's, that's kind of the way I feel like the way God works with us. If we're not just there for forgiveness, gimme, gimme, gimme all the time, then you get, you have hangout time and you have time where like, you'll never get enough of God. You, you can never have too much of his presence over your lifetime. There's just, I think he just sprinkles a little bit and is like, Ooh, you're overwhelmed by it. Cause it's, he's so, God is so big. <laughs> Amazing. He is. And, and your evidence of that, your testimony of his goodness and his love and, and that ultimately he restores when we walk with him. And so thanks Rick for sharing a great two-parter, two-part <laughs> story. And uh, man, thanks for your sharing. Thanks for your work. And, and I love your heart and I love the work that God has done in, in you. And so to, to be in contact with uh, Rick and, and Brad and, and different leaders, if you want to want to work on your journey, your porn-free journey, check out the Pure Freedom Journey at restoredministries.ca. And there's so much support and teaching and training and accountability and and, uh, everything that you need to get free. So again, Rick, thanks for spending time. And uh, for all you listening, thanks for hanging out with us on the podcast. And uh, we're excited to have you as part of our tribe. So we'll chat next week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.